It's not my third podcast of the day, man. I'm all set. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's uh, <laughs> Nah, man. It happen- I, I have a day like this every couple of weeks. I'm used to it. Okay, perfect. All right. So where are you guys based? Uh, I am in Dallas, Texas. Oh, man. I'd love to be in Dallas, Texas right now. I don't know yeah. if you want any of this, man. We are looking at, like, the first snow in, like, two or three years. No way. You guys get snow? Barely. We get, like, maybe an inch. Like, if you squint at it real good, it's it's an inch. (laughs) It rarely happens. uh, Your roads go to shit. It's not... Unless you're a bad driver, it's not enough snow for it to really cause accidents. And it just so happens that Dallas is one of the worst drivers in the entire country, so it kind of sucks. You just got to wait like six hours for the sun to melt everything for you to actually go outside again. Dang. Where are you from, uh, dude? What was your name? Sorry. Oh, no worries. I'm I'm Ethan. I'm from New Hampshire, but I go to school in Boston, so I'm, I'm usually in Boston. Oh, I see. Now, that's where I want to be. <laughs> yeah, it's... I mean... I can, we get a lot more snow. I can relate to the bad driver issue. Boston's insane. but I just get the train in Boston, dude. Yeah, the, the subway's nice. But yeah, I like it in Boston. It's fun. Always something going on. Yeah, it's fucking, it's a nightmare for me. I, I, sometimes I'll come out there for a game and I'll be there for like two days. And I spend more time in the air than I actually do getting to see the city. Oh, really? That's, that's yeah. <laughs> it happens, man. Good city though. So uh, yeah, I'm based out in the UK. Uh, I try and get over to Boston like four, maybe five times a year, depending mm-hmm. on uh, what I do a lot though. I say a lot. What I try and do at least once a year is for gig, for go a, a trip to Boston to catch the Celtics on a road trip somewhere warm. Oh yeah, that's super nice. I don't think I've ever actually seen them on the road before. But, I used to I used to aim for the Clippers because the tickets were always dirt cheap and you get the LA weather. Yeah. Uh, this year I got shafted because the Clippers were good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you could catch them in somewhere like Atlanta, or I mean, I don't know if you're trying to get to the West Coast, but like I'm sure Atlanta's probably pretty cheap. Yeah, I'm just trying to get somewhere where there's some sunshine. To be quite honest. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've done the West Coast a few times. I want to do Houston, but they're good at the minute, so I'm waiting for them to start sucking as well. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, I can buy. I can wait, man. I can wait. I can buy my car. All right, so let's go ahead and get this one started, guys. Welcome to the Traveling Hoopers. Today, we're going to do something a little bit differently. We're going to do a team-focused episode. So today, I have two great up-and-coming writers and reporters that cover the Celtics on a daily basis. And I will let both of my guests uh, go ahead and introduce themselves now, starting with Ethan. Hey, guys. I'm Ethan Fuller. I write for the Lead Sports Media. I write a lot about the Celtics. also write about the Wolves a little bit. Also, I'm a sophomore at Boston University. I'm the co-director of WTBU Sports. And also the basketball editor there, so I cover Boston University basketball, and yeah, hoping to rise up 
the ranks as far as being a basketball writer and reporter. And so far, it's been super, super awesome just getting to be in Boston and know the area. Great spot to be in. And uh, let's hear from our guy, Adam. Yo, what up, guys? My name's Adam Taylor. I'm a writer for Celticsblog.com over at SB Nation. And I also head up their podcast over there, Celtics Pod. You can find me there probably five times a week in written form and three times a week in audio form. All right, guys. Thank you so much for being here today. Let's go ahead and start talking about these beloved Celtics. Uh, Just kind of give me like an offshoot of how the season has looked for someone who, let's say, has been in 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 a coma since October 28th. Well, I mean, if you're thinking entering the season, you're trying to get past Kyrie Irving and everything that happened last year, the up and down roller coaster with chemistry. If you're jumping into the season, the first thing you need to know is that this is so much more of a fun team than anything we've seen probably since Isaiah Thomas ran this team between Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart being Marcus Smart, all of the rookies looking promising in some way or another. It's just even though we're not at the top of the standings, it's been a super fun year so far, for me at least. Yeah, following everything that happened last year with the way it all went down with Kyrie, and then the summer with Al leaving, that was a big loss for the Celtics. If you've been in a coma since the the, tra- the free agency period, then uh, there's no more Al Horford, there's no more Aaron Baines. Both of those were huge losses. But it's been fun. It's been really good to watch these guys defend by committee. The rebounding issues that have plagued this team for nigh on a decade uh, somewhat resolved. How they're going to defend big guys has been a really intriguing prospect all season long. And it's just fun to watch. This is Celtics basketball at its best when these guys are clicking. And when they're not clicking, they're not good enough that it can really annoy you too much. And um, I actually want to go into one of the statements you just made, Adam, with uh, with the Celtics and the rebounding. I kind of always kind of thought that was an issue, but not like really looked into it too much, considering you guys are a top 10 rebounding team. But I also noticed Enos Cantor is your leading rebound with pretty much like nine a game. Um, like how much of the issue is that like on a daily game basis? Because from like the numbers, it really doesn't say it's like, terrible issue so the biggest thing with Cantor is and he's an offensive rebounder at at the core he's probably at the moment he's number one in the league at grabbing offensive rebounds if you watch him play what you will notice is a lot of those offensive rebounds are off his own misses so he's kind of stat padding that a little bit um it's fine because you want guys to be fighting for possessions every offensive rebound gets you a fresh bit of time on the shot clock, gets you an extra chance to get those points. On the defensive end, Cantor's not really the guy that the Celtics have been going to for defensive rebounds. It's more been a committee thing. Jason Tatum's been averaging, I think it's seven, just under seven rebounds a game, same as Jalen Brown. Daniel Tice can grab boards. Gordon Hayward's been getting, I think it's four or five a game. It is really a collective on the defensive end, and then Cantor chips in maybe three or four rebounds as well. And then on the offensive end, having a guy like Cantor that makes a living just grabbing putbacks, it's been it's been fun. But they're definitely not an elite defensive rebounding team by any stretch. Yeah, I would agree with that. And the rebounding by committee point is great because we look at Tatum, as you mentioned, just under seven. 
Jalen Brown's also just under seven. Hayward's at 5.9 right now and Tice is at six. So it's it's coming from everywhere, even though it doesn't look like there's one Andre Drummond type rebounding monster. The issue with Cantor for me is also something you kind of alluded to, which is that a lot of his offensive rebounds are coming because he can't finish very well at the rim, which isn't the worst problem to have if he's your backup big and he's not finishing well, but that can get kind of frustrating at times. So how much of that issue do you think is going to rear up the, its head in uh, the playoffs, especially when you go up against the big guys like the Embiid's and Ben Simmons and um, the guy over in Milwaukee? The guy yeah. over in Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'd be more worried about that. Luckily, Cantor isn't a focal point, so I don't think it kills our offense if Embiid or – Giannis or Brooke Lopez or um, anyone else is kind of stopping him at the rim. But it is going to be tough because he won't be able to dominate the glass like he does against some other teams because Joel Embiid is going to be right there fighting with him. So I don't think it'll be a it's not a devastating X factor, but it's it's something that might be an issue or a small issue, at least in the playoffs. I was worried at first, but then if you go back and look at how he played when he was with Portland last year, it depends how you utilize him. You're never going to run your offense through Enes Kanter. If you are, then you're a very bad team and you're not going to be in the playoffs <laughs> in the first place. What you yeah. want from him is you want from him you want him to be boxing out, getting the boards. Now, the thing I've seen from him that really frustrates me, to the point where I've been screaming at my TV at like <laughs> 1 in the morning when the game's on here, is there's a lot of times he'll get the rebound and have a perfect passing opportunity to feed it out and start that possession again. And he'll go back up just to try and get that contested too. I understand he's on a small contract at the moment with a player option at the end of this year. So putting up numbers is going to at least earn him a few extra million next year if he chooses not to take that player option. But at the end of the day, this is about winning. And if you want to win, then you have to make the best play possible every time. And 70 to 80% of the time, his putbacks are not the best play possible. And that's what annoys me the most. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, especially when you think about what he and Daniel Tice are having to do to make up for Horford, who is who is such a great passing center. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely a big difference. And it is nice that Tatum and Brown can kind of make plays and Kemba Walker can make plays. And they have so many other playmakers. But as you said, when you're... When you're getting those rebounds, he's Cantor isn't really optimizing what he's doing with those rebounds that he gets. And yeah, that can be kind of annoying. All right, let's uh, shift the focus a little bit on this one. I, and I feel like it's going to melt into the next question a little bit. Uh, the jump that Tatum and Brown have took uh, from last season, uh, how would you guys gauge that? Like, as someone who watches and covers the game on, like, a regular basis, like, how how much better have they really got? I mean, Jalen Brands took a jump that's ridiculously big. If you go back to last year, and I did this during the summer, I went back and I was on um, Synergy, just going through some of the stats on Synergy, and I noticed that Brown was either turning the ball over or just basically putting up terrible shots whenever driving left. And it became a big focus. So I went back and I watched every possession for the entire season where Tatum, Tatum, where Jalen Brown went left when he drove left, when he was hedged, and when he went to the hoop. 
and he, the dribble was weak, what would happen was he wouldn't have full control over it, especially at speed. So he'd cross over and go right, which teams were expecting. They'd read the scouting report. So they'd, <clears throat> excuse me, they'd ice him to go right most of the time, force him weak side, which to him was right. Um, what was happening then was he was getting to the rim and it was just a weak shot or he was pulling back for a pull-up or getting stripped. Over the summer, he must have been working on that ridiculously much because to start this year, the guy was finishing left every chance he got. Um, he looks really strong in that regard. And because of that, teams don't aren't able to force him weak side. They're not able to try and ice him on the left side of the court as much because he's got the ability to finish there. And that's opened up a whole offensive game for Brown now. He looks really smooth on the jump. He looks so strong when he's driving the lane at the moment, especially through contact. And he's playing within the offense. You don't see many highlights coming out of Brown now. And that's not because he's regressed, but it's because he's progressed so much that all of his points come within the flow of the offensive scheme. Mm. He's, at the moment, between him and Tatum, he's actually quite a few steps ahead of Tatum in terms of development. Yeah, I would I would agree with that just as far as the leap this year. I mean, Tatum, in his own right, has obviously been great, but Brown is so amazing offensively all around with what he's been able to improve upon. A lot of it is the driving, like you said. I've noticed his perimeter game, whether it's also with his handle, he can he can cross over now and get into a step-back pull-up jumper. He's also a much more consistent spot-up shooter. I had a stat, this was a week ago, so I think it regressed a little bit, but he was, he was top five in the league for points per possession on spot-up shooters that were pretty high volume. He's He takes some of the largest volume of spot-up attempts in the league, and he does a great job making them, which is something that's so big, especially for Brown, who we've seen throughout his career, has either had some crazy highs, like his sophomore season, he was nearly a 40% shooter from three, and then it drops five percentage points last year, and now it's all the way back up. So for Brown, if he can keep it, even just under 40% is great. And if he can add these pull-up attempts that he's making, that we can see him make. And like you said, it's not him taking over possessions. It's him maximizing what he gets within the offense, which is so crucial to how the whole flow is working. So with them spot-ups, the one thing that I've noticed the most is, if you watched last year, defenders were coming, if it was a pick, if it's in a pick-and-roll, if he's getting um, like a pick-and-pop opportunity, defenders were coming over the screen because they weren't worried about the drive as much. And if it is just a straight open jump shot, then defenders were trying to were, were closing out on him as fast as possible again because they're not too worried about the drive because his mid range game wasn't brilliant. This year they don't have that option, so they have to kind of sag just a little bit and then try and close out as he jumps up. He's too quick and too too athletic for that. And if you watch his jump shots at the moment, he waits until he reaches the pin- the pinnacle of the jump before releasing. And nine times out of ten, he's shooting straight over dudes. They can't, they can't get up as high as what he can, which allows him a real clear sight to the hoop. His athleticism and the way he shoots at the moment, his shooting motion is so fluid. He's a genuine all-star. If he doesn't make the all-star team this year, it's a travesty. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think he should be an all-star. I think um, Kemba, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown should be all-stars or at least have really great conversations to make the all-star team in the Eastern conference. And yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you that Brown's athleticism, now that he's refined a lot of these subtler skills, he can really use his athleticism in a bunch of different ways that you might not see in highlights, but 
just improve his overall game so much. And then you asked about Tatum as well. So if Tatum, for me, he's not as bad as what everybody's been saying. He's inconsistent at the moment. He, I mean, we're recording a, on this episode a day after he just had a career high. Yeah. He, <laughs> he cooked those fools, dude. And um, the one thing to note with that, with that career high, and I only bring this up because I've done a bit of a dive onto this earlier today, is about 80% of those points came off of the pick-and-roll game with Tice, where he was either... Basically, what was happening is whenever he pick and rolled with Tice, the defender was coming under the screen, and Tatum was just blowing by falls. The entire first quarter was all two-point shots. He was getting whatever he wanted at the rim. Jackson Hayes was just drop. He was in a drop coverage anyway because they were playing that type of zone where you'd have Hayes drop and kind of backpedal to cut off the lane. But the way Tatum could drive and use his shoulder to, to basically seal off Hayes was just fantastic. That isn't something something that we've, we're used to seeing from Tatum on a regular basis. He's added that drive into his game this year, uh, predominantly. He's, he's driving a lot more. He's trying to get to the line a bit more. He should be drawing contact far more regularly than what he is. That, to me, is the next step in his progression in his offensive game, along with being able to finish around the rim with a little bit of a softer touch. At the moment, what you'll notice is when he's finishing off the glass, it's a bit heavy-handed, so he's, he's putting it up. It's got a great drive. He's getting a good look around the rim, but there's just too much weight on the ball as it's coming off his hand, and it's just front-rimming back out after bat ball. Boom, boom, it's a miss. It's frustrating, but it's something that we watched Jaden Brown go through last year. So the signs there are really encouraging, and if he can get that down, you can expect to see him dropping 35 on falls pretty much every night. Yeah, I I pretty much agree with that, and... That's another reason why I think Celtics fans shouldn't be that worried about his low percentage at the rim, which is something a lot of people have talked about. It's it's what you said, where he's just uh, he's attacking, which is great. He just doesn't quite show that touch around the rim that he's shown kind of over his career, and maybe that's because he's he's just coming at the hoop so much harder now. But that's that's going to fix itself, and I don't think that's a major concern because that's that's something that's fairly easy to fix. I do wish we could get a little bit more playmaking out of him because they're running the offense through Tatum so much more and it, and his passing is better, but it's not, I think there's another gear that he can reach that'll really unlock him as just a complete offensive package that I don't think we've gotten to see yet. Okay. So around the rim, he's finishing 56% of his attempts, which is good for the 32nd percentile in the league. That's disgustingly bad. Yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> It is really, really bad. I mean, his numbers this year are down dramatically, but his usage rate's up. So, you know, these he's only a third-year player. The only reason he's held to such a high standard at the moment is because of the play that he's shown in previous years. His rookie year, but statistically speaking, on offense, is still his best year. However, as you said, a lot of it's coming down to the ball's in his hands more, he's driving harder. What people aren't giving him credit for, though, is his defensive game. This guy, some of the plays he made just against the Pelicans, the way he closes out passing lanes, the way he can... There's, a, there's at least one or two steals a game where Tatum anticipates the pass and gets the gets into the passing lane and then gets a break away from it. Those are becoming more regular. The way he can defend multiple positions up and down the court. A year, another year, maybe two at a push, Tatum's what, top 20 top 15 in the league yeah i'd agree with that if he can yeah if he can 
just keep growing across the board like that. And I think that's another thing that is so exciting for the Celtics is that these two players, Tatum and Brown, are the two are the two almost dream archetypes archetypes that you could have for a wing, which is they're they're well built. They're both athletic. I think Tatum's athleticism is underrated almost at times. They both can shoot. They both have shown incredible promise defensively, and they're both already above average defenders at least. And so the, everything that they need to get better at is something small and something that's definitely correctable. And the ceiling is just in, growing and growing for both of these players, which is super exciting. Yeah. All right. I have to ask this question to every fan base because I love to hear the pitch. If you have an MVP, most improved player candidate, who is it? And from this conversation, it sounds like uh, Jalen Brown is your guy. Jalen Brown's the most improved candidate, period. He'll be in the conversation at the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah, I would would agree with that. I mean, there are other players. Devontae Graham is is a big name, too, just because of the tremendous out of nowhere breakout that he's had but Jalen Jalen Brown absolutely and he should he should make an all-star team if there's anyone else on the Celtics I'd consider uh, Jason Tatum's probably up there too um I think Tice has done a good job in the role he's been put in although I wouldn't he hasn't improved a whole ton I think a lot of that's just come with his role so if I'm looking down this roster yeah I would probably go with I think Brown's definitely the safe choice at least for the Celtics what was fun was the fact that Aaron Baines earlier in the year was a genuinely most improved yeah. candidate. That was uh, that was fun and frustrating at the same time because mm. he's not. Uh, but that dude's legit. I love Aaron Baines. Yeah, he's he's such a he just he's not only physically intense with a bruiser, but he actually the way he's improved his three point shot. I think we saw flashes of it with the Celtics, but the way he's just morphed into willingly shooting that and taking those opportunities if i pull up a stat line he's shooting okay it's not amazing it's 30 34 and a half percent i think that's come down a little bit but he's taking nearly four threes per game he's making almost he's making almost a three and a half per game that's that's so crazy that he's just jumped into that role when he never showed that before coming to phoenix and outside of some flashes with the celtics i mean that's less than three percent that's under 3% less than Jason Tatum from deep. Yeah. <laughs> Let that sink in. <laughs> uh, Aaron Baines is a, is a G. That's all it is. He's a Brook Lopez light. He's really walking <laughs> his game. He is, dude. He's a Brook Lopez light. If you can't afford Brook Lopez, go and get Aaron Baines. Yep. I'd agree with that. Baines is, Baines is quick, too. I think it's underrated. I know because he's, he's big, so in the grand scheme of the league, he's probably not that fast, but... As far as these big centers go, he's pretty fast. I'm sorry. I'm just imagine just like a large lumberjack looking man running towards you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. fear factor. Fear factor must play a role <laughs> too. Yeah. All right. So I have to ask you guys the question that I imagine every Boston fan is tired of hearing. But what is the feel? Like, how, how does this team feel different from going from Kyrie to Kimba? 
You want to go first, Ethan? Yeah, okay. So I I think the difference between Kyrie and Kemba, and I'll admit, until, honestly, I was on Kyrie's side up until that final game against the Bucks. I held out as long as I could with Kyrie because I he's just so talented, and I thought that it was eventually going to work. Obviously, it did not. But the difference with Kyrie and Kemba is that you look on, when Kemba Walker's on the bench, he just looks excited about the team the entire time. Or when when there's a when there's a tough play, when when Cantor misses an easy an easy offensive rebound opportunity, or maybe Jason Tatum has a bad game. He's had a couple of he's had plenty of off nights this year, but when those happen, Kemba Walker is always smiling or trying to get him to lift his head up. And it's with every player too. And the fact that Kyrie Irving isn't dribbling out the shot clock to take a wild pull up three pointer that sure it goes in, but it's not it's not fun for anyone else on the team. You can just tell that everyone everyone on this team is excited because they know that everyone is in it to see each other succeed. And I don't know if that's fair to say that Kyrie is that selfish, but that's at least what it looks like this year. No, that's very fair, Kyrie was shouting at guys for taking shots last year. Kyrie <laughs> like yeah. when when Jay Jalen Brown takes a shot and misses a shot and then Kemba goes on air afterwards and says, No, it was a good shot, it just didn't fall. I want my guys taking that shot. And then you watch it when Gordon Hayward takes a slot shot last year and Kyrie's crying over it. And I'm not about to bash on Kyrie, he's a fantastic player. He was going through whatever he went through in his personal life last year. Yada yada yada. But in terms of leadership, Kemba Walker is so much further ahead than Kyrie in that aspect that it's really transformed the dynamic in the team. They don't have an old head like they did in Al Horford last year now to kind of steady the ship, so they rely on holding each other accountable. And to me, that's that's a better way to operate anyway. Everybody's accountable for their own mistakes there's no egos they're all rooting for each other you see that like um when grant williams made that his first three after like 25 attempts yeah and the entire bench is up everybody's cheering for him they're just happy to see him succeed to me that is the biggest difference this year to last year last year there was so much competition so much so many guys thought they deserved minutes following the previous playoff run, like almost two years removed now to it was a tough pill to swallow and everybody was just trying to perform for themselves, just trying to get their touches, get their minutes, get their shots up. This year, it's not about that. I mean, Gordon Hayward yesterday went seven minutes of the first quarter without touching the ball. Without touching the ball. He didn't touch the ball until like one play before the second unit came in. And that was only because he came off. um, There was a pick and roll that got defended while he came around to collect the ball anyway. It weren't because it was designed that way. And that's the difference. There's nobody forcing the issue and just trying to get a touch. Everybody's playing within the system and everybody's playing for each other. Yeah, it's it's so great. And you're, you'll never hear Kemba Walker say, like, I'll take this team through the playoffs like he did before last year. Or, oh, these games don't matter. It's the playoffs that matter. He won't. He's never going to give those type of sound bites, which is great. And I think another thing that is a big sigh of relief for all the Celtics fans out there is seeing Tatum and Brown thrive together. I think... The Kyrie Irving-led chemistry issues really made a lot of people nervous about if these two could play together. And clearly this year, they're showing they can. And I think that collectively is just so awesome to see that we can keep both of these incredible young pieces for the long-term future. As a person who does not 
heavily root for the Boston Celtics and was pretty sure one of them would be close to being traded or traded by now, I am very unhappy for you guys. (laughs) Beautiful uh, future. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. I I think I wrote in an article that I thought Jalen Brown would be traded this year and I've never been so happy to be wrong. (laughs) So that has been great. Yeah. I mean, that extension's made that trade almost impossible at this point, so I'm happy that that happened early. Um, simply because if, you, if you're not aware, if you're listening and you don't know the math, to trade Jalen Brown now is such a minefield of numbers that you, if you don't have an advanced degree in maths, then it's not going to work <laughs> anyway. Um, the basics being the Celtics can only take back the value of Brown's current contract, which is, what, six, maybe seven mil? The team that take Brown in the trade have to take back the value of his extension. So to, so making that money work when there's like a 20 to $30 million disparity in the, in the outgoing and incoming, along with the fact that the Celtics are hard-capped. Jalen Brown's staying, baby, and I'm all for it. Yeah, absolutely. This is... We're, we're ride or die with Jalen Brown at this point, and I... Could not be happier that we stuck with him. Shout out to whatever numbers guy put that in the contract like that. That is that is genius. That's league wide. That's part of the um. That's part of the trade rules, salary cap rules. Um, ah. the players' the CBA collective bargaining agreement. It's all part of the actual trade. So any player that gets an extension that doesn't kick in until the following year will be uh, the team will be subjected uh-huh. to that. Gotcha. All right, guys, that is pretty much it for this one. I wanted to give you guys a few minutes just in case you have um, any issues you wanted to harp over. If you just want to go ahead and sign out, it is completely the floor is completely up to you guys. Okay, Um, I'll just add a quick final note just to shout out one Celtics player, and that's Grant Williams, who has been shooting the ball a lot better and i think that that's going to make him a really good rotation player long term yeah. that's my final note run hayward at the point forward more that's the, all i'm saying give him the ball more in um key situations if you want him operating with the second unit then that's fine bring him on as a starter and then stagger his minutes so he gets more time with the second unit he's more effective with the ball in his hand and not and at the moment he's not getting enough touches to really Im- influence the game to the level that he's capable of. If that's what you're going to be leaning on in the playoffs, you should let him start getting the reps now. That's my only complaint at the moment. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Adam Taylor, and thank you, Ethan Fuller. Thanks for tuning in, guys. This has been another episode of the Traveling Hoopers podcast. You can find us on all social medias at Traveling Hoopers on YouTube at Traveling Hoopers as well. You guys have a great evening. See you later. They will not stop these Celtic fans. Let's go ahead and get that out of the way. Yes, I am living with dog. <laughs> <laughs> Dog's living with you. Barely. Yeah.
<laughs> oh, my dog's asleep, man. He pisses me off no end when I'm recording. 